I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and not uh, as simple you know, I, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many you know, more doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. This episode of 12-Pack Radio is made possible by Nextiva, the official communications partner of the Pac-12, and the best business phone services chosen by U.S. News and World Report. Nextiva helps companies all over Pac-12 countries stay connected. You know who's not going to have these services, Rob? Mario Cristobal. <laughs> stay connected with customers and coworkers using one easy-to-use app. Get Nextiva for your business. Get business phone service, video conferencing, team chat, call reporting, and more, all for a fraction of you would pay for those services separately. Make great calls every day. Visit Nextiva.com slash 12-pack to get started. Nextiva.com slash 12-pack to get started. Oh, For 12-Pack Radio, get excited, y'all. Welcome back, everyone, to 12-Pack Radio, your podcast source for Pac-12 football news and your home, the Beta-ranked college football statistical model. I'm Brian Conger. Thank you for joining us. And a lot to talk about again. Not a lot of it on the field, to be frank, to be frank. Um, We had some big news with Mario Cristobal leaving Oregon and going to Miami. We have some coaching news. We have some transfer portal news. And we have two games to review. We're not going to get to bowl games this time. We're going to do our Colorado postmortem which we teased on last podcast, and then we ran out of time. So very excited to do that. And to break all of that down with us is Mr. Rob Bowron from Sharp College Football. What is going on, Rob? Uh, I'm, I'm excited to be here. We've, we've completed it. We made it through an entire Pac-12 season minus bowls. We did, and it was almost normal. I mean, you know, nothing's <laughs> normal in the Pac-12. But, like, you know, all things considered, like, only one COVID pause for a team. Um, I mean, like, okay, so at the beginning of the year, knowing that, COVID was still out there, you know, like looming, like looking around, like looking down from the heavens. Um, did you did you think that the, the season would be this like fairly normal? I mean, this was smooth. We had one game and we didn't even get canceled. It was just delayed. That's amazing. <laughs> like, great job to everyone in the Pac-12. Yeah, yeah, it was like actually pretty impressive. I'm excited to see what the numbers look like next year because you know we have an, a normal year to stack up and use um, for beta rank, and that's pretty exciting. Um, on on the year, I finished 47 and 34, 58 percent against the spread, picking every game against the spread in the Pac-12. So another year where I've broken that 54 uh, percent threshold, and uh, I, I you know I felt like by the end of the year, Rob, I th- this is how it ebbs and flows with me, and I'm curious what 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 you think. Right, the beginning, I'm really confident. I'm like, I got this. I've done all my research. I know what's going on and I'm overconfident. And so like, I'll do well the first week and then it kind of dips and I'm like, Oh no, Oh no. I think I've maybe, maybe I got this wrong. And then I kind of tread water. And then by the end, you know, like week, man, nine or 10, I do think it kind of locks in where the teams are, who they are. If you're watching the yeah. games, you get an understanding of, of who is good at what, and it just gives you a better feel for the conference in general. I remember looking back at some of the, 
uh, podcast that we did with Max a few years ago where it's like, man, we were locked in by the end of the year. And I kind of felt I f- like numerically I was there, but mentally I wasn't for some reason this year. I don't know. Like, how do you, how do you, how are the, has that roller coaster ride for you as we go throughout the season? Oh man. I mean, I mean, so like beta rank, of course I have a prediction for every game in college football. And this has been a really volatile year. Um, you know, more so than most. I mean, I've had, I had a week, two weeks ago where I hit 62% against the spread on all games. Not That's bad. astounding. Not bad. But yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Beat Vegas on the absolute error. Um, and that was followed by a week where I finished kind of in the middle of the pack and like kind of nosed above 50%. Um, you know, and then uh, this last weekend was just like I hit 50%, little over if you count the Cal USC game, just over 50%. But like in the conference championship weekend on the the teams that Beta Rank was on, they finished minus 11 in tur- on turnovers. <laughs> you're just oh, like, no. <laughs> it's like, how did this well, half of them was Well, half of them was Oklahoma State, right? I mean, <laughs> no, no. I mean, uh, yeah. I mean, so like, uh, yeah, Oklahoma, Baylor also turned the ball over in that game. Uh, Wake. <laughs> Wake had four picks, um, oh. was part of it. Georgia also turned the ball over twice. I mean, just, a just a rough one out there. The, the conference title games for, for expectations and really too. I mean, I, I think San Diego state had some COVID numbers that were out, um, in their game. And, uh, of course the model doesn't see that. Yeah. That's a bummer. Uh, one thing to, to keep in mind too, is we, we're going to cover the bowls here and I love bowl season. It's super fun. The more, I've learned over the years uh, in terms of like betting on sports, the more I appreciate uh, just sitting back and enjoying bowl season and not betting on the games. Cause you don't know who's, you know, until the end, who's opting yeah. out, who doesn't care. Um, it's a good live betting option, right? Because you can kind of say, Oh, that team really gives zero craps about being here today. Like a great example of this is the sun bowl uh, two years ago, or maybe it was last year. It was the F- Florida state ASU game. And oh yeah, it, yeah. Like n- neither team, like they were literally like, "No, you win. No, 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 you win. We want to go home. No, we want to go home." Like it was so bad. Um, and so you know, as we go through these, I, I, this is more of a like a celebration of the sport. Um, and, and until we get to the playoff, I think the playoff matters. Obviously, the Rose Bowl matters, but we might have Ohio State players opt out of that game. I mean, we're kind of in a world now where even the the BCS or whatever they call them, the New Year's Day games that really feature those premier teams. Um, they, they've all kind of gotten to a point where players are opting out and I like, I get it. I understand. I don't know what, like, how do you, how do you approach bowl season? Yeah. I mean, bowl season definitely is a bit of a crapshoot. Um, you know, I mean, I, you, you have, and I, I think it's going to be interesting too, because, you know, more, more than even, you know, you might say regular, I mean, we have a lot of coaching turnover this season and that's just throws an entire wrench in, in bowl season. Right. I mean, you might, we're, we're, I don't think we're going to be at a place where there's anyone who's going to be actually coaching an honest to goodness bowl game and be in the running for the job. Right. Like you remember <laughs> yeah. that, you remember that like West Virginia bowl where like Bill Stewart was in the running for this is like years ago. So oh, make yeah. himself sound old. And Rich Rodriguez has gone off to take the job at Michigan and like West Virginia just waxed Clemson. That game was awesome. Yeah. They beat that. It wasn't like 75 to two. I mean, yeah. it wasn't that bad, but it was almost that bad. <laughs> yeah, it was almost that bad. And like Stewart gets the job. Like 
all jobs, I like all jobs will be filled, right? By the time bowl games roll around, you people should expect that. So you're not going to have any of that craziness, but you're going to have all of these like interim, you know, uh, coaching staff still coaching bowls, right? And how much are they really paying attention to any of this? They're likely spending a good bit of their time trying to find their next job if they're not going to be retained, you know, I mean, and, and if they are offered a new job, they may depart before the bowl game starts. Right. Which makes perfect sense. I mean, these are people's livelihoods. Um, so it's, I don't know. I mean, I, I feel like this could be a, one of the messier bowl seasons maybe we've ever had. And you're right. I mean, that Ohio state game, how many of those wide receivers that are draft eligible are going to remain and play um, if they don't, you know, and, and, there's not there's not much reason to, but it is one that like you could look at and maybe get an early jump at a number if you look at a team who's playing a team that's not going to have a lot of draft eligible players, right? That, yeah, that's true. Like those, like like Louisiana. yeah, I mean, because like Utah might be an example, right? Like Lloyd is obviously, I mean, I believe he's draft eligible, um, but you expect most of the youths to play really care about the game. I mean, like, I think Ryan Day is a terrific motivator, but like they they really could have some opt outs. Yeah, that could be an area where you can get a little bit of a leap on that line. Um, well, and we'll be tracking all this stuff. And one thing to mention, too, is if you are interested in doing a bowl pool, we are going to have one. Um, we're going to use every bowl, uh, pick against the spread. We're going to do a $10 entry fee and we're going to do prizes. And, you know, and the prizes will be <laughs> how do I put this uh how do I put this legally? Uh, the prizes will be the same amount as the entry fees. Uh, so you're going to, if you are interested in participating, let us know. You can tweet us at 12 pack radio, one, two PAC radio. Um, and I'll make sure to direct message you with the details. Um, or you can email, email us at 12 pack radio, one, two PAC radio at gmail.com. And so, um, we'll be tracking that. I'm going to use an easy tracker. So all you have to do is just put your picks in. Um, it'll update it weekly. And, um, I think we're going to pay a little bit to just get that managed for us. So it's just easy for everybody. So it's not just people relying on me sending out the weekly results. So, um, if you're interested, we would love to join us. We will, um, per- we will make this a part of the show. So, um, if you want to participate, run against Rob and myself, um, feel free to join. We're going to invite some of our podcast partners, uh, the, the friends that we've made over the years, uh, Feel free to join with them as well, and um, and we, we might even be giving away a couple free entries here as we move along. So keep a lookout for that. I'm going to make the announcement this week on our 12-pack radio feed, or you can, you can just email me, um, and I'll send you the link for that. Rob, biggest news of the day, uh, Mario Cristobal has taken the job at Florida, and I am... Um, uh, like I've, I've, we've been, I've been chatting about this with some Oregon fans and like I, we can agree to disagree. I do think that the Lincoln Riley move mattered for, um, Cristobal's move to Florida. Now there was definitely some personal issues there. I know he is obviously he's from the area. His mom is, is in a poor health there. So th- there's a lot of personal stuff and they threw like a boatload of money at him, which also helps. But at the same time, once Lincoln Riley made the move, I think that kind of was a big catalyst. It was like this earthquake in college football. Um, you had a lot more schools really pony up the money to get a new coach. And um, I don't know if, if you're, if you're crystal ball and you're at Oregon, which is a great job and you're looking around and 
I just think things are going to get tougher for him. I don't know if he has the quarterback. <laughs> um, you know, we'll, we'll see if Thompson is good. But, I mean, shoot, leaving when, when things are going well is oftentimes the best move to make. And he is now in Miami, and now Oregon's looking around trying to figure out who they need to um, spend a lot of money on to get to Eugene. What did you think about the news when you heard it? I mean, I I get it. I mean, I you know, you're uh, it's always nice to move back home and be around family. And when someone's going to offer you eight million dollars a year to do it, yeah. and you get to be in a, and you get to sit, uh, and, and this is the thing that is different. And it is somewhat analogous to the the Riley move. I mean, Oklahoma recruits Texas really well um, and always has. I mean, in some ways, they've, in a lot of ways, you know, in a lot of years, they've recruited Texas better than Texas has. Um, but I think what, uh, you know, the difference is, is that, you know, like Riley moving to be sort of centrally located in a, you know, talent hotbed in LA, you know, he doesn't have a far jaunt to go recruit Arizona, which for a lot of big schools has become a, a, an important recruiting ground. Um, and then, you know, I mean, that's Miami. I mean, you, you could, you could fill a, you could fill a roster with South Florida. I mean, maybe not entirely from Miami itself, but with South Florida guys, you could fill an entire, you know, playoff roster <laughs> pretty much. So, and, and for Cristobal, I mean, I think one of the things to, to keep in mind is that it, it, he came out of the Saban school of, you know, football, um, spending time on that staff before at Oregon. And he really brought, you know, that kind of maniacal, Saban-esque SEC focus on recruiting into the Pac-12. And a lot of folks complained about that in the Pac-12, right? But if you have that kind of, um, that kind of a mindset, you know, and, and, and then, you know, making a move to a place where it's going to, you know, the returns on that are going to be higher, I think, or, you know, it's a smart move, right? I mean, and to be frank, like the ACC is, it just continues to be down and bad. Um, it looks like, it looks like Dabo, you know, and Clemson are going to like, they already lost Brent Venables. They might lose Tony Elliott, their offensive coordinator to Duke. I mean, the ACC is no great shakes. You get going on recruiting and you could be in a really good spot. Yeah. And if you know a couple of billionaires personally that are willing to front your resources and you have a university that's willing to throw uh, what, what needs to be done at recruiting. I mean, I, I mean, I get it. I still think Oregon's a better job, but I get the personal ties and, the fact that they they ponied up and they is, got him is I mean like don't get me wrong, I think Oregon's a really really good job. I'm not sure it's better than Miami. I I guess it's more recent, right? Like the re- I mean Miami's been Miami's been bad of late. They've made some bad coaching hires, but like you get I mean that's what I, that's what I was just like you get going at Miami. You know, like you can easily crank out national titles. I feel like you get going at Oregon, like you, you're like you're at that same level for you is like you win a playoff game, and you get to go play for a national title. Like Miami, I think you can put together some of the best. You you have you have real potential there. I think, and two is like you're. He's also got to be looking at like Nick Saban's not going to coach forever. It's not you're not going to be like coaching it going against Alabama for recruits in Florida forever. But I just I don't think I don't think Oregon just because of 
the the lack of proximity to recruiting, I don't think it's as good of a job as Miami. I think they have better resources, better, but if Miami's willing to invest in that, you you got to take the canes on that. That's true. It's a better history. Well, maybe not better history, but better recent history. Um, they've built out the pipelines to Southern California, which again are they're going to bump into with USC. Um, they've been able to recruit nationally. They have the money and the investment in the program is there. So all of that stuff they have good. Plus if you're in the PAC 12, it's really, you're just, you're really just fighting against USC at this point when you're in the ACC, it's the same. And we have a better TV deal by the way on that front. But if if Miami is actually willing to pony up, I think one of the things that we've seen over the years is like they keep hiring like just blah coaches. And if you watch that stadium, nobody shows up. Like, I mean, people show up, but it's not, the the stadium isn't on campus. The community has kind of given up on the program for the most part. Um, We'll see if they're able to keep that money flow going and if there's that real commitment and if the community surrounds them. But I see, like, we often talk about sleeping giants. I do think Miami can be that, but it hasn't been one for like 15 years. So, uh. no, no. I mean, but it's the same, like, with them, though, it's like the same thing as, like, if you took out the Carroll years at USC, like, US, we'd be like, oh my gosh, what, like, when was the last time USC? I mean, and before Carroll, like, USC was on like a 20 year bender, you know? <laughs> yeah, that's true. Like, so, I mean, like, you, you, it's Oregon is not. Oregon is is a, like don't get me they've made good hires they've made a couple of good hires in a row of course the Helfrich hire didn't work out but you know Oregon they they certainly have significant investment but it's just easy like my what Miami has lacked right they've lacked significant investment in the staff they've lacked significant investment in some of the facilities I mean Cristobal has them on the on the hook and the on the contract for that so you know I expect they're going to do it they certainly they don't lack for big money donors the university is f- apparently flush with cash because of the health system the University of Miami health system making a bunch of money last year which is sort of depressing <laughs> yeah, that I know. Yeah. some of that in football but you know I mean everybody's got priorities I guess so um, I just, I, I think, I mean, like, I don't want to take, like, Oregon has built themselves into a very, very good job, right? I mean, what, I mean, certainly in the conversation with Washington for, like, second best job on the West Coast, you know, behind USC, I think they're, like, I mean, I think just because of the way UCLA does business, I think they're ahead of UCLA, um, you know, and I think that they're going to go out and, you know, really aggressively go after a coach, right? I think Phil Knight, the Phil Knight dollars are going to be there. Oh, absolutely. And hey, I want to go through some of these names, but before I do, the first name to bring up, Chip Kelly. No. I, thank you. Thank you. All right. I just wanted to, you know, I wanted to get... <laughs> No, no. I don't want to be a jerk, but like, there's a couple of like Pac-12-ish writers, commentators who just keep throwing around the same dumb names on things. And I'm just like, I mean... Are we gonna do like? Are we gonna do this again? I gotta hear Jeff Tedford again, or Chip Kelly, or Justin Wilcox. Justin, Wil- Justin Wilcox, like good grief, people! Like, and they're all coming back to this idea, and I think this is just wrong. I hate, I hate it when people say this because it's just, I, I like, the hardest thing to do in college football is win consistently, and people sit there and say things like, "Oh, I just." 
you want the, the like I mean Wilner was out with this entire column of like they need to find someone that's not going to leave and I'm like no you need to find someone that's going to win football games and then you figure out how much money it's going to take to keep them yeah. <laughs> right yeah. like winning's the hard part right like I you it, it like you and I people have said this I mean, as Arizona alums, well, I don't want to have a coach that's really successful and leaves. I'm like, are you kidding me? I'll take that in a heartbeat. Like, oh, we won some football games. Oh, great. Like, I'm going to suffer through that. (laughs) Yeah, it's like, let's go, dude. Let's get people on that uh, on that pedestal so they can walk to the next one. I mean, it would be great for Oregon to have a coach that sticks. Uh, Obviously, I mean, you want you want both, right? You want a coach that sticks and a coach that wins. And I do think that. Oregon is what like a top fifteen job? Like they can. Get I think that. they're in. The, I think they're in that range, right? Like, I mean, the ones that you would put ahead of them. I mean, here's the thing, and everyone is going to say, I mean, and like, oh, thank God we're not like an SEC podcast. I'll say this: like, I don't. I mean, comparatively, like Alabama is a pretty hard job when Nick Saban's not there, <laughs> right? Yeah. Like, you just happen to have Nick Saban there. They don't sit on a ton of talent. They just have a commitment to big time winning for the most part, right? Like, you know, like the jobs that you might put ahead of it are the kinds of like USC, LSU. You know, like you can argue like <clears throat> maybe Miami, maybe not. I mean. Like I said, like that South Florida talent pipeline is there. Those jobs are mostly, you know, like I think you could argue like Oregon might be a better job than Clemson, even though Dabo's been on a roll lately, right? Like, I mean, those things are like, I think people, it's very easy sometimes for people to mistake the, the attributes of the current coach for the attributes of the job, right? Like... People would say like, oh man, like USC, they're garbage. They're like, they're never going to figure it out. And you get a new athletic director and you get the right coach. And all of a sudden you're like, oh man, USC really might figure this out. Yeah. (laughs) I mean, like this is another conversation, but I mean, it's not in the same league, but imagine if ASU just threw a boatload of money at somebody like the talent. I mean, there is really good football in Arizona right now. It's one of the fastest growing cities the SEC's coming and picking off players there. I mean, like think there's, there's all these programs around there where it'd be interesting to see if somebody had Miami money and threw it on them. But um, when we're talking about Oregon, like the money's already there, the investment in the product is already there. So when you see people say like Chip Kelly and like, you know, Chip Kelly now, and we're seeing this at UCLA, he's not Oregon Chip Kelly. Like this is a different Chip Kelly who doesn't have, I don't think has the grind anymore and he's never liked recruiting. So if that's something that, you care about, which I think is important for your program. I don't think you're, you're ever going to get there. And I get it right. Like when he was at Oregon, he, he recruited his types of guys, but like that was 10 or 15 years ago when the, the, the rest of the country didn't figure out offense basically, right. That, that yeah. was his thing. He was able to push things forward. Now everybody's adopted it and he's fine. But if you're Oregon, like, I don't think him, I don't think Wilcox, another name that, um, that keeps popping up. Um, who, who is it that they're, they're bringing, um, uh, I mean, like th- those are really the two where I, that have been floated a lot. I, I want to go through some other names here with you, um, and, and let, let's let's take a break right here and get back to it because um, plus we have a bunch of other Pac-12 stuff to cover, but it's just a really big news here, and I'm curious what names you like. But let's get to that right after this. I'm Alex Rodriguez, and I'm Jason Kelly from Bloomberg. This is the deal. Each week, you'll hear us in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. 
And that is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and, not uh, as simple you know, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many more doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. All right, we're back. And Rob, I went on to CBSSports.com looking at, looking at some articles, looking at some articles here. And I have a couple names here as possible replacements for Mario Cristobal at Oregon. I'm curious what you think here. Let's start with let's let's start with the questionable uh, Brian Harson, coach at Auburn. That's oh my right. God! Why do people keep floating Harson's name? Thank you. Okay. Yeah, I thought. Like, 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 I mean, he's he's fine. There's definite questions on his vaccination status. Uh, oh yeah, that won't fly in Oregon. Kind of, which is <laughs> kind of a problem at three. I mean, you could say problem, maybe even Colorado too. I mean, three of the Pac-12 states in the Pac-12 footprint, kind of a problem to be a public employee. I would almost add that it is such a problem that Auburn is like maybe using that to get rid of. Like Auburn, if 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 Harson went from Auburn to Eugene. Um, I think there would be a sigh of relief from Auburn. I thought that name was ridiculous. Uh, another name that I saw was Andy Avalos, what they think is crazy town. But like, here are some actual names that could be interesting here. And I kind of want to go from, uh, from like, eh, to okay, um, Kalani Sataki at BYU. If for me, he's really the only sort of proven name out west, and I think that includes. Look, I. I think that includes DeBoer too, right? The the Washington yeah. hire. I think they did a good job. But Stocky's really, I mean, you know, he took over, um, had to kind of, you know, re, I don't want to say rebuild that program, but kind of build that program back up, right? Um, and he managed to do it, did a good job with it. He's made, for the most part, pretty good hires. I think he might, he, I think he might need to make a move at defensive coordinator. But um, yeah, I mean, I think he'd be a good get. Uh, for Oregon, I just, I mean, the, I mean, he's, he's obviously LDS. The question is, is B like with him, like is BYU his actual dream job? <laughs> maybe it is. Uh, but you know, like I, I, I don't think, but it's interesting because I don't think that's a name that would like sizzle a lot with Oregon fans, but I think he'd be a good hire. I think I agree. I think that it would be the fallback, right? Like you miss on your first three swings and if you ended up with Sataki, I think you, I think Oregon fans could talk themselves into that, right? You have the um, yeah the Pacific Island pipeline. Um, you have a yeah. proven track record. Um, he's you know I, I thought that what he was able to do at BYU, given all that he lost, not only in the player personnel but losing the offensive coordinator, um, actually yeah. pretty impressive what, what he's able yep. to like hold that. Yeah, so I mean I, I think that would be more of that. Oh no, we didn't get our like big guys, and then you land there. I think that'd be okay. Um, Matt Campbell at Iowa State. I so I like Campbell a lot. Like I, I, the advanced stats, like Campbell and Iowa State a lot. They had a they other than Nebraska, they had some of the worst luck. I mean, horrible turnover luck this season. Um, so the the win loss record isn't there necessarily, but he's got a good offensive coordinator. He's got a good. Uh, you know, defensive coordinator as well. He's got a reputation. He doesn't recruit at a high level, of course, because it's at Iowa State, but he has a reputation as a good, relentless recruiter at the level he's recruiting at, right? Um, and, and a guy that's going to get guys that really develop guys at, at Iowa State. Um, I think it would be fascinating to see him 
and his coaches with a roster, but he's, you know, what you run into that's kind of tough there is you're really going to need him to accommodate his coaching staff to, to fit some West coast recruiters on it. Right. Um, and that, that might be just, just it right there. And, and I, you know, I think that he and Washington were, you know, maybe a couple million apart. <laughs> I think Washington had him at about 7 million a year was their final offer to him. Uh, and they weren't able to close the deal. Um, if you're Oregon, you know, you could think that, you know, what they offered Cristobal in the last round was, was 8 million a year. Um, you know, that may be, that maybe gets Campbell. Um, if he really wants to get out of Ames, there aren't many that in the, this game of musical chairs, there aren't many, that, that many openings left yeah. <laughs> that could open up. <laughs> I, so with Campbell, I agree with you on the, you need to maybe accommodate some of his staff to kind of fit the West coast. I would also add, I mean, I think Oregon expects you to grind and pull some levers for some yeah. recruits that maybe you can't pull at Iowa state. And I haven't seen Matt Campbell do it. Um, I think it's a different world. Like if you really want to, if you want to build up that, right. I think if you're going to throw $8 million, $9 million at Matt Campbell, you expect him to, uh, to recruit his tail off and, and frankly to compete with like sec, which means you got to do some stuff <laughs> to, to get there. I don't know if Campbell yeah. has the will to do that. Um, and I, and same thing with Kalani Sataki. I think that's one the two of the things that make me nervous about those guys. If they end up going that route is, I mean, recruiting is important and I don't quite know what you're going to get out of both of those guys. Is that fair? Yeah, I know. That's entirely fair. I mean, look, I mean, you know, those guys, I think if you're those guys, you're probably, you're probably signing top 20 classes. If you're Oregon, not top 10. Yeah. Right. Yeah. No, that that's perfect. That's a, that's uh well, well said. No, that said, they may coach him up better than Cristobal's guys did. Cause that was really Cristobal's problem, right? Like he could never quite get it going on both sides of the ball at the same time. And he often had, you know, one side of the ball, like with Marcus Arroyo or, you know, this year it's a rooter where it just wasn't working. Yeah, no, that's very true also. So it's that balance. You know, the goal is to get yes. And right. You can, you can recruit and you can develop. Um, yep. We don't know the, the first part. Uh, Dave Aranda, Baylor, Baylor coach. I like it. <laughs> you know, I, I mean, I, here's the, like, I think he's a great defensive mind on his own. I like his defensive coordinator, Ron Roberts. I think his hire, Jeff Grimes, who we got from BYU is really good. I thought he was really flexible in what he worked with off of that, which was which, what he could work with with Baylor, which was not a great throwing QB. So he adapted his offense, really explosive, ran the ball. Well, Aranda, you know, has an reputation as kind of an odd guy. <laughs> and, <laughs> no, I mean, he's like, you see, you watch him give answers and he, they're, they're, you know, not coach speak and kind of thoughtful. I mean, they're not incendiary or anything like that. He's not out there just like talking smack. Like he, but he's, you know, he, he definitely, I would say too, like with Aranda, I mean, he's a good recruiter. He's not a great recruiter you know like he mostly was on staff at a lot of places because he was so good at x's and o's um i mean he's a good i mean i don't want to take it away like he's still a really good recruiter um and he he's gonna but he is a hundred percent going to understand the grind at oregon right like aranda has been around the block yeah that makes sense um i i like it i think his ability one thing that really 
stuck out for me was he was kind of a mess um, from the on the offensive side and from the um, game management side last year. And then he changed. Like he actually, yeah. his offense was better this year. Um, he wasn't like running the ball on third and six, you know, that, that kind of stuff where it just drives you crazy. Like the David Shaw syndrome. Um, he was able to adapt and that's really hard to do. You know, when you're getting yeah. like $7 million a year and you're the man and no, I'm going to trust my defense. That's how I got here. Like the ability to, to adapt was, was pretty impressive. So I'm curious to see if that's the direction they go. Last name I have is Joe Brady. Um, he just got fired. Uh, as the offensive coordinator at the uh, at the Panthers in Carolina, he was one of the two coordinators at LSU, um, and kind of no. seen as no. He was the passing game coordinator. Steve Ensminger was your OC and probably called like eighty five ninety percent of the plays. Still okay. What I heard, what I have heard though, is the way he's explained is that NCO. Uh, what was his name? Steve NCO. Is that? M. Swinger. Oh, I totally got that wrong. M. Swinger. Um, did the early downs. Brady did no, the so he, third and Brady only did it if it was an obvious passing down. Oh. So like third and long. Okay. So I, schematically, he brought something to the table. Like, I think he brought in a lot of scheme to the table. But if like you're even going to hire, because he's being talked about for a lot of like college offensive coordinator positions. I'd want to actually go back and look at that Panthers game tape because <laughs> he never had to call all the plays. Okay. <laughs> I wouldn't do it. And I don't think he's all that into recruiting. Okay. Um, and he, he has also not ever had to do it because he was an analyst at LSU and not even a position coach. Oh, okay. Any names that you want to float? Uh, you know who I would talk to is Brom at Purdue done a really good job with not one of the big jobs in the in the big 10 um you know he's uh he's not a west coast guy but that's fine there are not we talked about there's just no obvious names out west this year um and not even really in the pac-12 and i mean unless you consider like jonathan smith or something like that um but i just say yeah i would i would take uh brahm at purdue and then i mean if you're oregon i mean take a run at mark stoops at kentucky he's coached in the pac-12 before His offense is really good this year. He made that hire Liam Cohen from the Rams um, and totally, you know, like it just supercharged his offense. The defense bounced back again this year too. Like Kentucky's really good. He's built that up from the ground up. Um, I would, I mean, and he's, he may look at it cause they've done a re- Kentucky actually does a really good job recruiting Ohio um, and picking up four stars that Ohio state passes on. Um, now he may look at that and say like, he's looking for some, you know, like really big Ellis, you know, like LSU type job is his neck job or something like that. But he may also look at it and say like, you know, he could be in a smaller pond, but a much bigger fish at Oregon. The one thing with him is his contract is freaking fascinating. So Kentucky's basically like, Hey man, just don't embarrass us. Like we're a basketball school. Just be cool, man. And so every time he wins seven games, he gets an extra year added onto his contract. Every time he wins 10 games, he gets two extra years added onto his contract. That is literally written into his contract. Like one of the coolest, like, and and he's, he's delivered, right? He continues to do a really good job. And like, I think that makes it difficult. I I don't know how much he makes a year. I'm sure it's at least $5 million. Um, Yeah. But it makes it right. How much is that stress worth? 
is it worth it to give that contract up to go to Eugene and and be expected to contend for conference titles in and the playoff berth? No, I mean it's it's a I mean it's a real question, all right. I mean because he's he knows he could. I mean Stoops is no dummy. He knows he could come in right now and inherit a better roster than what he's got, you know, with Kentucky. Um, but I mean, he also looks around. I mean, the SEC East isn't, you know, overwhelming. Yeah. <laughs> like Tennessee's kind of figuring it out under Heupel. Um, You know, George is absolutely there. You know, I'm a little bit of like maybe Napier makes it at Florida or not. You know, like I think it's a good hire-ish, but I also think I would like to see Billy Napier at a bigger job before Florida um, than the Sun Belt. But, you know, I think that I think you could look around and realize, like, you know, this is a, a job that he could be pretty comfortable in um, that there. You know, he could finance the kind of staff that he really wants um, and make a run. at. I mean, I, I don't think he's going to he he's not going to have a shot at the playoff at Kentucky. Right. Like the, the road is too hard. Um, and that's the, what I think Oregon could pitch him on is like, look, like, yeah, like expectations are low, but if you want to make a run at the playoff, like you can get there, you know, with us. Two more names real fast to get through and then we'll talk more Pac-12 news. Um, and both coaches did not get, as far as I have been able to see, did not get their buyouts changed, which makes you wonder. Um, Lane Kiffin and Luke mm-hmm. Fickle. Uh, both had their contracts and I'm using this radio, but air quotes, like the think of the heaviest air quotes you get renegotiated, but the buyout didn't change. And that is incredibly suspicious as all these other coaches have been bought out and picked up and we're in like the craziest time we've ever seen. Do you think that Oregon has a chance at either of those? I would love it by the way, if freaking Lane Kiffin came to Eugene, (laughs) I'd be so excited. Lane Kiffin would be a fascinating one, right? Like that one would be, I mean, I'm shocked. I mean, count me shocked that neither Florida or LSU hired Lane Kiffin there. Cause they're sitting there like who could win double digit games in the sec? Like think, 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 right? Like <laughs> and, and he like openly, he's like, he has all his, his media minions come out. He's like, tell them all that I want the job. And like all of a sudden, right. lo and behold, everyone's like, Lane Kiffin would take the job if offered. He's like, who, me? I would never say that. <laughs> like, this is pretty... And Florida didn't even offer him. And I don't think Miami no. offered him. No, and I don't, I mean, I don't think LSU did either. Um, you know, and I would have hired Lane Kiffin ahead of Brian Kelly oh, in yeah. a heartbeat. Oh, yeah. And I would have hired him above, ahead of Billy Napier. Also in a heartbeat. Yeah. So I don't, I mean, but I also, uh, I don't know. I mean, he may, like, he may have a reputation as a difficult subordinate. <laughs> <So> <laughs> I do totally get having to manage people that you'd be like, yeah, it's not worth the hassle. But given the constant the, string of abuse, if you're not winning in the SEC, I might be like, yeah, I'll deal with it, whatever. Yeah. Um, yeah. I, I mean, I, what I what I think of your Kiffin is uh, here's here's Kiffin's calculation though, right? Is like how long does Nick Saban coach? Because I mean <clears throat> Kiffin's been at Old Miss for like a hot minute, right? And 
I think he eventually fires DJ Durkin as defensive coordinator. If he gets a really good name in there, like he, I think Kiffin could make a run at the playoff out of the SEC West, right? Once Saban retires, um, I could see that, right? But yeah. I mean, he he clearly he clearly is gonna. I mean, he will clearly take a bigger job. If there's one thing we know about Lane Kiffin, he will take a bigger <laughs> job, yeah, right? right? <laughs> um, and Oregon's a bigger job than Ole Miss. Um, you know, it's 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 easier to get to the playoff. It's easier to get in the conversation at Oregon. Kiffin's a Kiffin is a, a is again a, a very good recruiter, um, and I think he he generally makes other than the Durkin hire some pretty good staff choices. Yeah, I mean, I would take that. I, I would take that one. What was the other name you were throwing out? Oh, Luke Fickle. Oh man, so I was I've kicked this around, and I mean, I I think Luke I think like Luke Fickle's waiting on Ryan Day to go to the NFL. I think that's it, right? I mean, is he ever going to do it? Like, I guess you know, <sighs> at some point, you, you just the recruiting is a grind. I mean, I just I think Fickle is like one. I think he really did. I think he really is committed to this uh, Cincinnati team and was not going to take another job while they're still playing, right? And if if that timeline doesn't work, then that's fine. He's not going to sweat it, right? Um, but I also think like, I really do think fickle really is just zeroed in on that Ohio state job. Like he knows he's going to get it. Like there's just no, they're like Ohio state's not even gonna, I mean, <laughs> like they're not even gonna have like, they, it's a public job, so they'll post it. But like, there's only one person they're going to interview. <laughs> well, the only thing is, so like, I think I was listening to a podcast. They were talking about how, uh, Ryan day makes more than the bears coach makes right now. So like yeah. if, if day and like, but which I think is kind of a silly thing to say, Oh, he's going to go to the bears. Like he could go a lot of different franchises, right? but are they going to pay? Like it's getting to the point where it's like the NFL has to throw like $20 million at him to, to coach in the pros. And then you got to deal with the pros. I don't know. Like that. Do you think day's going to jump to the NFL? Is like, does he want to do that? I, I don't know. I think for day, it's a matter of like, when does day think he's accomplished all he's going to accomplish in college football? And maybe that's winning a title, right? Like, and they're not different. I mean, they're really not that far off. Yeah. I mean, they're, they're, they're going to be in the market for a defensive coordinator this off season. Ryan day makes the right hire for defensive coordinator and they're cooking, yeah. right? Like they had a very good offense again this year. Um, yeah. I mean, I, I guess in my head, I, I really do think though, like, I, I think if somebody comes at fickle with enough money, everything's doable. Right. Um, you know, I don't, I, I don't think fickle is like never, ever going to the NFL. I mean, going to, you know, or, you know, he was only going to Ohio state. I just, I'm shocked. If you look at the jobs that were open this, this year, you know, I mean, and some of this is like, I'd have never thought Lincoln Riley. I mean, I would take Lincoln Riley over Luke fickle any day. <laughs> so if you're USC, even with Mike bone right there, like, yeah, you take Lincoln Riley, right? Yeah. Um, yeah. I would have taken fickle over Kelly, but that's just me. <laughs> and, and there are a lot of people that are a lot more impressed with Brian Kelly's wins than I am. Yeah. Um, and that's, but I mean, what would you do with, I mean, if you were, if you're fickle, I guess like, you know, you're clearly happy at Cincinnati. You're pretty well paid. You're eventually going to get in the Big Twelve. 
you know, like, are you going to jump to go move your family all the way across the country when you're basically looking at Ryan Day, who has a lot of NFL experience, you're looking at him and thinking like, this guy's not going to be there forever. (laughs) I guess that's it. Like nobody's paid Luke Fickle enough or presented him an offer that makes him say, no, because like Columbus is like two hours away from Cincinnati. He's like, no, I'll just move my family two hours when we get to it. Yeah, that's fair. I just, the the only thing is you don't know how long day's going to stay there. And I mean, things can, things can collapse. I mean, think of how many small time coaches, not small, not that Cincinnati small time. I mean, they're moving to the big 12, but think of how many coaches in a lower league were kind of riding high. And then all of a sudden something happened. So, I mean, he's, he's betting on himself and you know, God bless him. But uh, yeah, I, I, I mean, I think Aranda and, um, and others, uh, Brahm is interesting. I, I didn't think about that. And I'm, and look, there can be other names. It seems like Chip Kelly is, and I'm sure there are boosters there that want Chip Kelly back. So it seems like he is, um, one and there are a lot of one A's we'll see what happens. Uh, but I just kind of want to kick around. It's always interesting to see, you know, particularly with a big job like this. Um, and with the sudden news, I think it was fun to be able to talk through, um, all right, Rob, we have more to cover. We have the Pac-12 championship. We have uh, our Colorado postmortem. We have a couple players in the transfer portal, and let's get to those right after this. All right, we're back. And um, let's let's do the let's do the final games at the end. We talked a lot of, a lot about Oregon. Um, and Oregon was in the Pac-12 championship. They got their asses kicked, by the way. Uh, spoiler alert. Um, but let's Rob, let, let's go to a couple players that have gone into the transfer portal that, that have been interesting. You, you have Christopher Brown from Cal, like the running back who I really like. He is, uh, in the transfer portal. That, that is, that was surprising to me. I mean, a little bit, I guess. I don't know. What do you think? Yeah, I'm a little surprised at that. I mean, I, I joke around that it's, uh, he's running away from Wilcox's offense. I could see that. <laughs> Which, yeah. It's totally fair. Um, but it is interesting to to see that because I, I, I you know, he's, he's a feature back at Cal. That's not going to change. Right. And for him to, to kind of opt out and decide to move on, I thought was surprising. Yeah. Uh, keep a lookout for that. The other thing too, a bunch of USC transfers, uh, Hunter Eccles, Jake Lichtenstein, um, their kicker hit the transfer portal. I'm sure there's going to be more, um, uh, Juliano, uh, Falanico, enter the transfer portal. Uh, I mean, I get it right. Like, uh, <laughs> like the, the Lincoln Riley regime has started with a bang, right? They just got like four, four star players, a five star quarterback to commit. So I think, you know, I don't know. I, I thought, look, that's going to happen whenever you get a new coach that's bringing. Yeah, absolutely. Really sig- and like all, all, all of these players are fine, but I don't think that they're devastating. Is that, is that fair? Ray, you're always going to have, I mean, there's always going to be transfers anytime you have a coaching, you know, switch. Um, I, I like that, you know, I, I, you know, and I, I think there's also extra emphasis on it from coaches because I believe the rule now is, is that up to seven additional spots can be op- opened up depending on the number of transfers out you have. Um, and so I totally get a coach deciding to kind of, wink, wink, nudge, nudge, you know, like people in the transfer portal, um, knowing that that's going to give them more opportunity to bring in transfers. And for, if you're Riley, you're a hundred percent looking at, 
you know, going and recruiting players that weren't your players that are really good that might be in the portal and also trying to convince some of your former players to come join you in, in Los Angeles. Speaking of, Caleb Williams was at the Oklahoma press conference when they announced uh, Brett Venables. So I found that interesting. And I think it makes sense, right? You have Jackson Dart at USC. You have, um, they just, uh, Malachi Flynn, I think, is the guy that they brought in the five-star quarterback that has yeah. committed to USC. And if I'm Caleb Williams and I already have the starting job at Oklahoma, and if, like, since Oklahoma hired a coordinator, they might keep a lot of the the talent there. Um, it seems like USC is going to get, well, I know, I know USC is getting Alex Grinch. I think they're getting their offensive line coach, but that hasn't been confirmed yet. So, I mean, it makes sense for Caleb Williams to kind of ride things out, but I think it's probably more likely than not that he stays at Oklahoma. And now Jackson Dart has to decide what he wants to do um, against this five-star freshman. And he might get the starting job. Who knows what, how Flynn does? Yeah. I mean, I, I, I think if you're, I mean, I do get like, if you're Caleb Williams, you really, I mean, he's a Washington DC kid, right? Like he only went to Oklahoma to, to play for Lincoln Riley. Um, I think he's, you know, he'd be encouraged if there, if Jeff Levy is the name that they get at uh, Oklahoma, he's been Lane Kiffin's offensive coordinator at Ole Miss. You certainly like what they've been able to do. Although they do run the ball a bit more than Oklahoma does <laughs> um, in there. I think, I mean, I, I think there are more names to come. They just announced uh line. Linebacker, defensive end coach is coming. One of the better recruiters on Oklahoma staff, a, a guy with West Coast highs, really recruits the West Coast well. Um, I would not be surprised to see Lincoln Riley add Joe Salavea from Oregon. Um, That'd be who awesome. Used to coach with Grinch at Washington. They used to coach with Grinch at Washington State. Um, but I, yeah, I mean, I, I I think you know I wouldn't be I wouldn't fuss at all. If, uh, if I'm a USC fan, you're going to have some turnover um, with that. Now, I mean, obviously depth could become an issue for the Trojans next year. Um, and you certainly could. I mean, look, I mean, this may not be like, I mean, Riley, I think, is trying to like pump up some expectations. Uh, I mean, they could do a little Texas next year. And that like fans should be prepared for that, right? Like if it doesn't start, if it doesn't kick off automatically. Ooh, Ooh that'd be interesting. Um Miller Moss, by the way, still there. We saw him in the game uh, against Colorado. So USC certainly has some options there. One of the things, you know, moving on to ASU, we did talk about Diamante Trainum entering the transfer portal. And uh, but some good news for ASU is Jermaine Lole, who was um, a player that I really like, and he missed some time uh, this past year. He's staying at ASU, which is a big, big news for him, like being able to plug up the middle. Yeah, that's a really big uh, get for them that he's coming back, not transferring or not testing out the NFL. Um, they struggled a little bit uh, at times against the run, um, particularly at the middle, and having him back I think is a big deal. Yeah. Um, any any other news that you saw in terms of the transfer portal before we get into our Colorado postmortem? I don't think so as far as like guys that you might expect to land on. Uh, I mean – uh, UCLA has an odd exodus right now of guys that are like out of state players. Hmm. Um, That's worrisome. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's not like UCLA is out like recruiting gangbusters anyway. And again, like you're, you're often talking about guys that may not make another power five roster, but um, it's interesting to see. It's interesting. Like it's going to be really interesting to see who, because there there are a lot of players. It feels like there's going to be a lot more players because of 
the COVID additional year of eligibility, um, you know, and the the you know the easing of the transfer rule. There's going to be a lot of players in the transfer portal this year, and and how much um, you know teams are able to tap. I mean, Arizona State's basically already said like our entire class is going to be out in the transfer portal. So, <laughs> and only six commits right now for ASU. So keep an eye out. Sun Devil fans, that that is that is worrisome, and hopefully they're able to pick it up. All right, let's go. I mean, one look, here's a transition. Uh, another player in the transfer portal is Ashad Clayton, who is the running back from New Orleans, and he was really, really somebody that Colorado fans were excited about. And I, I get it, right? They they do have their running backs already, um, but the fact that he dipped into the transfer portal and, along with um, uh, who's who's the brother, the, the guy from Texas, the wide receiver. Um, oh, Chenault. Chenault's yeah. brother uh, also entered the transfer portal. I mean, we kind of have a problem here at Colorado. And let's get into our postmortem. So every week we're going to try to dive into one team and just take a look back at what their season was and what they came in. We're going to start with kind of the teams that aren't in bowls because it's a little bit easier to do that. So we're going to start with Colorado, four and eight overall on the season, six, uh, sorry, three and six in the Pac-12 South. Uh, their wins were over Northern Colorado, Arizona, that double crazy overtime game against Oregon State and then LOL Washington. Um, <laughs> uh, look, uh, last you know, I, I thought the the Buffs were interesting last year. Um, obviously, COVID was not the best year to determine whether or not a coaching staff has their act together. Uh, but I I thought the leadership that Darrell was able to bring to them to kind of keep them together it was his first year. All that stuff happened. They ended up getting to the I think it was the Alamo Bowl and just got waxed by Colorado. But even so, it's kind of like, all right, I think Colorado might might be able to at least uh, stay, you know, ah, maybe go 500, maybe not in the conference. And they they didn't do that. And I think the problem, more so at least for me, Rob, was if they were more competitive on offense and on defense, <laughs> I guess, uh, this year, I would have been more excited. Like, you see three and six, you go, okay, he's still building something. But the performance on the field didn't indicate that this team is ready to take the next step next year. I know that was my takeaway. What did you think about Colorado's performance in this past year? Yeah, I mean, it was... I mean, they were bad. There's, there's no two ways about it, of course, right? I mean, it really, the only... The only real glimmer, I mean, you feel like real glimmer of hope for them in a lot of ways was that, you know, when they beat Oregon State that game, you know, like that was it really for me. Like, I mean, they, they Arizona, for some reason, decided to let Gunnar Cruz touch the football again. That was a terrible, that was a terrible, terrible decision by them. Um, and that game got out of control in the second half for Arizona. But Arizona was really bad most of the year, right? I mean, they played hard, but they were bad. Um <clears throat> I just, I mean, you could argue, I think that they, I don't, I mean, I, I feel like when we look at that Utah game, I don't think that's an example of like Colorado playing hard so much as like Utah just having a letdown after beating you or beating Oregon yeah. um, and maybe having a little bit of a look ahead combined with that. Um, and then, I mean, the Washington, you know, they beat Washington. I mean, a Washington team that at that point is basically given up, um, you know, and, and was full on distracted you know, at that point. <laughs> so I don't know. I mean, like the, the, the offense finishes at one Oh eight, you know, which we said it was going to be bad when Chiaverini, um, got to be the offensive coordinator again. I didn't expect it to be quite this bad. Um, you feel really still feel like they don't have a quarterback. 
Um, and there's not a lot of positives. You definitely, you don't like the transfers out. Um, and the, the defense is at 65, you know, like again, not great. Um, the, you know, like I just, I feel like right now, if you were kind of looking across, like, you know, maybe there's some room to offer optimism around their, you know, they were 41 and effective pass that sort of baptism of fire year they had where they couldn't stop anybody. And they played all those young guys. Like it's, it's sort of paid off. They've improved. Um, but good Lord, you could run the football against them. 92 and effective rush. And I don't, I mean, I don't know. I mean, like they're, I'm interested to see who Durrell can get, you know, in there, but like, they're not going to be going out there and making, you know, they're not going to be going out there and making a really splashy hire, I think for OC or something like that. No, and the other thing to keep in mind is the quarter. I mean, well, the two things to keep in mind. The first is the quarterback. Is uh, Brendan Lewis the guy? Because Owen McCown yeah. was the the. I mean, like high-ish three-star quarterback they brought in. His offers were from Virginia Tech and Louisiana Lafayette. Those are the two. Oh, excuse me, Louisiana. Um, those are the two teams that offered him. So it wasn't like he was this really solid. Like Lewis had a higher pedigree coming into Colorado, and uh, clearly has been struggling. I do think he played a little bit better as the year progressed. Like they finally were able to move the ball a little bit through the air, which I think is encouraging, but I, you know, man, like if that's what we're going to get next year, then this Colorado team's still going to, you know, finish under 500. One of the things to also to keep in mind is the offensive line. Like they returned four starters and a number of backups and were terrible this year. I think that's one yeah. of the underrated stories too, because not only was Lewis running for his life sometimes, but remember how good Colorado was last year at running the ball. And granted they had like five games to do it, but they returned a lot of players that were, were pretty decent on the line and they just could not get the ball going on the ground with Jarek Broussard. And like, I mean, they had five running backs, like Ashad Clayton who's in the transfer portal. They had, I think Mangum. One, one of the, one of the guys ended up transferring, but the point being they had like three talented backs that just could not get any space to run the football. And so it's not necessarily just looking out for who's the offensive coordinator. It's who's going to coach that offensive line because it was yeah. a mess and they re- like for that team that team is not good enough and they're not going to be able to recruit the talent um to get to the next level unless they they clean up that offensive line i think that's one of the issues i don't know did you i mean like here's a perfect example um they uh they were 11th in the Pac-12 for sacks allowed right um only Arizona's yeah. worth they were 95th nationally uh, tackles for loss allowed. They were 11th of the Pac-12, 98th nationally. So it wasn't even just like you could see the problems in the backfield. You could see the problems in the rushing game. You could see a bad quarterback and you have a bad line. I mean, this team could be any of the wide receivers. You have wide receivers transferring. Like it's it's this, this is like uh, I, I try not to hit the panic button after year two, but I am I am very close to pounding that button on that front. Yeah, I, it. I mean, honestly, like you watch this year, and it felt like a year zero, right? Yeah. Um, and yeah, they got up. They did get up to the four wins, but I don't know. I mean, like the, the you know, the wins they got. Like I said, the only really win that they got that was kind of impressive was that Oregon State game. They weren't close in in most of their games, right? Like the, the this was mostly like lose big, for the most part, right? Like when they got. <clears throat> within spitting distance of anything like a team that wasn't falling apart, 
And so you have, you know, like, uh, I mean, they did get something. They did. I mean, Oregon, oh, good Lord, everyone could drive the ball against Oregon. Like what a weird year for the Ducks defense. But, um, you know, Cal basically shut them out practically putting up three points against Cal. Um, you know, like only 14, I mean, USC, I guess, cared at that point. So only 14 against USC. Um, yeah, I mean, that's the, that, that's what I think kind of like when I look at it, I, yeah, you could talk yourself into there being a little bit of a, some progress at the end of the year. Um, I just, I don't know. It, like I said, like you're at a point where you're at your, you're on Durrell is on his second defensive coordinator already. He's going to be on his second offensive coordinator. You know, like, does the rebuild start now? You know, I mean, the, the recruit, I mean, the recruiting class is technically fifth in the pack 12 right now. It is 46th nationally. And there's, there's some decent players, you know, kind of at the top, but everybody else they're you know, they're going to have to, they're going to have to develop the heck out of these kids. I mean, and that's, that's life in the, you know, bottom part of the power five for sure. I don't know. I just don't see the staff. There's nothing about the staff where you're like, oh my gosh, these guys are going to really turn the corner. Yeah, I, I see that. And then, like you mentioned in the recruiting front, and, well, more, I think more importantly is who they're losing, right? Mustafa Johnson, the defensive end that we liked is gone. Nate Landman, after 12 yeah. years there, has finally departed. Uh, their, their transfers that they brought in, I thought one thing that they did do interestingly now, it, like they had so many spots that they needed to fill, but they were able to hit the transfer portal to get some offensive linemen that didn't work out, but they were still, you know, those highly rated guys that, you know, Hey, well, let's take a chance on them. But Jack Lamb, yeah. the, the inside linebacker, uh, Robert Barnes, the Oklahoma transfer, they're all gone. So, I mean, really, if you're Colorado, you need to hit that transfer portal. You need to hit it hard because like you mentioned, the 2022 class is okay, right? They have about three or four high star, high three-star players, but nobody that I think, I mean, you never know, right? Like some, some of these players are going to come in and make an, an immediate impact as freshmen, but kind of when, like, and I hate to star count, but like at some point, right? Like, I mean, how much is a team that, how much is a recruiting class of freshmen that are going to be like those three-star players going to come in and, and change the trajectory of the program in the next two years? I don't know. I mean, I, I, you look at that recruiting class and that, what they currently have on the roster if they don't get a transfer QB, I just don't know about this team. Right. I mean, and there, I mean, look, there's some decent names in the transfer transfer portal for QBs right now. I don't know the Colorado. I mean, I don't know that a lot of the teams at the bottom of the pac 12 should expect to get one of those guys, but Colorado probably needs to bring in, uh, in addition to Owen McCown, their, their, uh, QB, um, you know, I I think you got they got to probably bring in one more transfer too, two maybe. Yeah, yeah, and they need. I mean, like that. That's the bummer about the offensive line, right? If you're, I don't think Colorado is going to get Spencer Rattler. I don't know if they want Spencer Rattler. They probably do, but um, you know, if you're if you're a like, think of all the quarterbacks that dipped in to the the portal that were four star backups or like high pedigree backups at like Oklahoma or Ohio State or Oregon. Like you know, think of all those types of players. Where's the first thing you're going to be looking for? Can I can I get protected by this offensive line? And the answer right now at Colorado is no. And I think that I think that puts a cap on who they're able going to who they're going to be able to bring into the transfer portal. And man, well, and they don't have. I mean, look, the transfer like signing day I think is less of a fuss for like 
you know, the transfer portal, anything like that. And at this point, right. Like they're not like, but they really got to, I mean, some of these guys are going to make commitments pretty soon, even within the transfer portal. I mean, Colorado still doesn't have a coordinator, right? Oh, yeah. Um, <laughs> and that's the, I mean, and that's the real, like, I mean, you don't even know what system you're going to run necessarily. I mean, I'm sure Darrell has an idea, but you don't have the, the guy to come out there and sell it. That's really hard. You know, I think, and, and look, there's, there's a good number of coordinator jobs still available in the PAC 12, right? I mean, like Oregon certainly opened up of course, but you know, like Washington still doesn't have their defensive coordinator hired. Um, you know, like, uh, UCLA still hasn't fired their defensive coordinator. Um, but there's still some openings, but for Colorado, I think to still be sitting on this OC job, you know, and really Chiverini's been gone for a while. Like they got to get that hired this week. Like they can't be waiting around. Yeah. I like, so like, you know, even if you take, if you flip it in terms of sacks and tackles for loss, 126 nationally and sacks, 101st nationally tackles for loss. Like I kind of liked this front seven and was really disappointed in their ability to cause any havoc in the backfield. But I mean, I guess if you're looking for a bright spot, numerically like the secondary I think was okay like you know if you're taking a look at the beta rank numbers is there anything to you know to give some hope to Colorado fans as they look into the next season I mean they were decent running the ball compared to how bad they were passing the ball um 66 an effective rush um I think the the hope is around the defense right that they are able to clean up something with the front seven you know there were 92 an effective rush in beta rank um, they need to really force more three and outs. They're at 88 negative drives, more three and outs, more turnovers. That would really help. I mean, I think the defense has a shot next year to get up into like, you know, because right now they're a bad power five defense at 65. I think they could get into the 40s. And that's good. That's a good improvement. And I like their defensive coordinator. But I mean, there's just, there is going to be a lot riding on this offensive coordinator hire for them because. I mean, the offense, if they don't, if they don't get the right OC, if they don't get a quarterback in there, I mean, next year they could be treading water as a really, really bad offense again. Yeah. It could be a real problem. Um, Hey, what, what was their past defense rating? Uh, 41. 41. Okay. That's Uh, where, I mean, they're like, you know, if they return some of those guys, like you're, you're, you're in a decent spot. Yeah, I have to. I think the secondary will be okay. I don't think they lose a lot in the secondary in the coming year. I'll double check that, but I did go through and I looked at like the biggest names that departed, and it was almost all the front seven, which makes me a little worried when you're like, maybe maybe they can get to forty um, and clean up that front seven. The problem is they lost like four players that were impact players on that front seven. So, I mean, they're really going to have to develop the next the next guys up, and I didn't see it. <laughs> Like they didn't see the field and I didn't see it. So if you're a Colorado fan, take a look, keep a lookout, obviously for the, the coordinator position on the offensive side, but also is Colorado bringing in players in the portal that are going to fill that front seven? Because I do think that the secondary is pretty decent and, and they continue to recruit fairly well on that front. Um, they had a four-star kid that ended up playing as a freshman that really grew this year as a sophomore um, in this, in the 2020 
one class that was in the 2020 class the 2022 class i think they have a couple corners and and secondary players that are kind of those high three stars which is great right like if you're colorado we're not expecting you to recruit 16 four stars but like if you can consistently get those guys that um that either went to really good high schools and were developed well or or are players that maybe didn't want to go to usc but still have a lot of talent like those are the types of that's what i expect out of colorado hopefully i just don't see it no, the the offense the offense just really I think terrifies me, right? Like I don't think guys have been coached well and that's not an immediate turnaround, right? Like I mean, they have had they've had bad scheme, bad development, bad recruiting on the offensive side of the football. Oof, that could be a little bit of a wild turnaround. That's like and I think the defense could get to a decent spot for them, but you know, but if you're a Colorado fan, here's what you want. Like and and you know, uh, you just want to see the offense continue to play hard and you want to see signs of hope. I mean, even if you take your lumps with a young quarterback, you just kind of want to feel like there's somebody in there that, you know, you can kind of maybe build off of as they, you know, take their lumps. Yeah. Ooh. It's going to be, could be a rough year. Hopefully not. Hopefully the development steps up. You can make a good, like, you know, hiring matters. You make a good offensive coordinator. It can change your offense. So we'll keep an eye on that as we move into next season. Rob, we have a couple games to get to here and ah, we don't need a break. We've already done two breaks. Let's, we'll save the commercials for our listeners. Let's get into the, the game of the week in the PAC 12, which was the PAC 12 championship game. And, uh, woof, <laughs> like, right. We thought, I took Utah. I bet Utah. Um, my my only hesitation about those decisions were, well, Oregon did see Utah throw what they needed at them, right? Like, I'm not certain if Utah yeah. has anything else to put on tape. The game was at altitude. That fan base was going crazy. Um, but I didn't care because I just, I'm not a, a big fan of this defense. I know it's banged up, but I like the where the safeties who are banged up, are they going to be able to stop the, uh, the tight ends? The answer um, was, yeah. I mean, like Britton Covey actually had the most, uh, most catches in this game. Um, uh, but they, you know, Keithy got a little, a little touch. Kincaid was able to touch the ball. Um, but at the end of the day, I mean, the rushing was actually interesting, right? I mean, like Utah yeah. was almost, I think almost 200 yards rushing on the game, two touchdowns for, uh, Thomas. And, um, I mean, that was kind of it. Like I, I Oregon's offense isn't good enough to compete with a team that's going to put up 30 points, much less 38. Um, and, you know, if you flip it on the other side, boy, howdy. Um, two touchdown or two interceptions from Brown, one particularly nasty one, um, less than 100 yards on the ground. It just, I mean, this was just a complete, a complete destruction of Oregon and uh, maybe a team that knew that their coach was out the door. Yeah. I mean, I, this, this Oregon team, I mean, they, we knew they had some defensive problems. I mean, look, I mean, Thomas, I mean, they got most of their yards with rising and Bernard, right? I mean, Thomas really was, I mean, he was the workhorse, but they tackled him pretty well outside of some, a couple of good runs, right? I mean, he only averaged 3.5 with a long of nine. I mean, rising gouged them for that 41 yard run, right? Um, And Bernard was pretty good too, right? I mean, as a, as a change of pace. But I mean, then it really was. I mean, they they their running back by committee for Utah really worked. I mean, Pledger got in five carries, and, and, you know, and got twenty yards. I mean, they like even though you know Thomas, they relied on him to take on most of the you know work. 
Um, they did a pretty good job. And then, you know, rising was 15 to 24 and he threw two picks too, but they just weren't, I mean, given, given how ineffective Oregon was elsewhere, it didn't matter. I mean, they couldn't run the ball at all in this game. And that leaves you in a place where you're relying on Anthony Brown and that's trouble, <laughs> right? I mean, if Oregon couldn't run the ball and get explosives, they were going to be in really, really big trouble coming into this game. And, and Utah was able to take that away. Yeah, it was rough. And congratulations to the Ducks. Holy Moses, what a comeback. Not not in the game, but just of the season, right? They started the season really rough. They they tried the Charlie Brewer show. And and Rising was able just to take this, this team and run with it. And, man, they can move the ball. And when you can move the ball and you have a good defense – which is fine. Like, right. That, that has been the recipe for Utah. And I know that there's been a lot of, a lot of shuffling of the offensive coordinator position at Utah, but I mean, like this is a team that is, is good. And I still think there's going to be a lot of players on this team next year. When we do the postmortem for Utah, I think it's going to be kind of the opposite of what we just did for Colorado. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, like rising should be back again. Um, you know, it doesn't seem, it doesn't seem like, and you know that any of the running backs in particular are you know a game changer for them. I think that they, it's mostly on like, you know who they've got back of the line, keeping the offensive, you know, keeping the offensive and defensive coordinator in place. You know, I, and I I like. I mean, they're probably going to lose Lloyd, um, but they do a really good job of of replacing players. So, yeah, I um, let let's talk, <laughs> let's talk Cal USC. Uh, we'll make this fast. Um, this game was crazy town. You had, uh, before the game, you had USC, you know, protest. There was like a protest on the practice field. And w- once I read that news, I put some money on Cal. Cause I'm like, all right, like this game is going to be dumb. And the fact that Chase Garbers was petitioning for them to play this game. Um, I just figured, all right, they'll, they'll be able to take care of business. Uh, you know, Malapai was able to get some yards for USC, but at the end of the day, this was kind of like a meaningless, uh, matchup. And, uh, and Cal was able to take care of business. They covered the spread. And, um, I mean, that, that's kind of it, right? I, I, don't, I don't know. I just, yeah. I had at least mentioned it, but was there, there any takeaways from this? It was, it was kind of the silliest game that I could think of this year, right? Two, four and seven teams going at it, um, in a meaningless game at the end of the year. And I just put the money on the team that was probably going to be the most motivated. And that turned out to be right. Yeah, it was a, it was a hideous, hideous game. I mean, um, in theory, Garbers had a decent game, 18 to 21 for just 177. Um, they didn't run the ball particularly well, you know, uh, you know, Cal didn't, but it didn't matter. I mean, USC was so ineffectual um, on the offensive side of the ball and really the defense wasn't great either. So it was just, uh, just a, just get this. I mean, as soon as this game, it's, it, it sounded good at, you know, in theory, right? Like when they had to, cancel the game like we'll reschedule and you're like oh that's cool we won't miss a game and then you roll around to it it's kicking off at 11 o'clock east coast on fs1 and you're like god why are we actually playing this game just get this over with (laughs) and it was like i think there was the play where uh, there's a fumble on the two yard line and cal still ended up with the fumble for the touchdown so there's just i mean like there's just some i mean this game was what it was um and uh, all right we can move on but uh you know it did happen (laughs) And it will forever be in the records. And we look forward to next week. Um, Rob, anything else to cover before we sign off here? 
No, I don't think so. I mean, I, I, I just keep an eye out. I'm trying to keep track of the coordinator positions if they get filled, uh, at least on Twitter. Um, but yeah, I mean, keep an eye out. Like, we still haven't seen any of the the moves, some of the moves we were expecting, right? Like, Azanaro is still there. Stanford, I guess, has like a top 10 recruiting class. Um, what? Which makes... Yeah, I got to look that up. Yeah, that doesn't um, sound right. No, somebody tweeted it out today, and I was like, what? Uh, let me see. Yes, they do. Currently. Now, that is not to say that will last. Um, but they have, oh my gosh, they have one, two, eight four-stars currently. And maybe that's why Shaw hasn't made any moves. I don't know. This class there's there, this class is not going to finish in the top ten. Um that's a good class. Like, I mean, I mean, they'll, yeah. if they finish in the top 20, like if you're Stanford, you're probably still pretty happy about that. But I mean, they haven't, Stanford hasn't made any moves yet. Um, Bill Musgrave is still employed at Cal, right? Like, I mean, some of these moves need to happen sooner rather than later. They're waiting for the playoff games to end, Rob. That's the goal. Yeah. They're waiting for the playoff games to uh, to pick off all the elite talent. No, yeah, it, that, that is kind of a bummer. Although, holy Moses, this Cal or this uh, Stanford recruiting class, like, and they actually took more than five players this year. So, you know, like, it's a big yeah. steps here <laughs> on the farm. Uh, okay. Well, we will keep a lookout. So we have, we'll do our next postmortem uh, next week. We're going to keep a lookout for the coordinators. One request for anybody: first, if if you want to join the uh, bowl pool, let us know. And second, if there's position position coaches that your team picks up, like what well, we see them, but we don't. I mean, sometimes it's hard to know. Like, let us know if you know anything about them. Like, you know, we give us some a little bit of context. We'll mention it on the the podcast because I do think that position coaches can be important to teams as uh, as they develop talent. So always trying to keep a lookout for that. Um, Rob, thanks for joining and we will catch everybody next week.